0: I respect Mayor Mike Duggan, and seven eight months ago, I even mentioned to him, he said, hey, you know, maybe you think about running for mayor one day. I said, no, I
1: think governor is the way to go. Word had leaked out to some of the uh, criminal element, and they tried to kill him. And at that point, you would think that the adults that were in charge of this operation with you think that that would lead them to pump the brakes like we almost got this 15 year old kid killed
2: within the fda when you talk to colleagues that are within the agency are they in any way hesitant do they know of something that they have to be worried about are they being cautious for a reason
3: you're listening to pod suey the week's top stories served a la carte subscribe at the or wherever you get your podcasts former detroit police chief james craig had a busy wednesday announcing a committee to explore the possibility of running for governor in the morning before making this announcement on Fox News later that night.
0: I got to tell you, I'm running because when I look at what some politicians are doing across our country, you know, let's talk about Governor Whitmore. She follows different rules. She just
3: does. Chief Craig appeared on the Paul W. Smith show. He says he never really wanted to go into politics, but was encouraged to go that direction by a couple of friends.
0: People are sick and tired of politicians. They just are, you know, and what what they want, they want someone who understands what service looks like, what leadership looks like. And so, no, I I never thought about it, but I will say this, uh, and I always tell the story because it's uh, my late friend best friend in life, Uh, we served together in the LAPD. He was a SWAT officer. Uh, He was killed in the line of duty. Uh, A deranged, mentally ill suspect had just killed three of his family members, Uh, and my friend went in uh, in response to that. He was the first one in the door. Uh, The suspect fired a single shot, striking my friend fatally. But before his untimely death, he said to me, and I was a captain uh, in the LAPD at that time, he kept saying, almost a year before his death, you're going to be a governor. I said, what are you talking about? It, it didn't make sense to me. Um, I said, no, uh I'm trying to be a chief of police. I, I, and, Paul, you may have heard me say this. I set a goal to become a chief of police probably very early in my career. Mm -hmm. i knew that's what i wanted to ultimately do and so he kept calling me governor and (laughs) so we got past it i moved on became the chief now in in three cities um but then it started to come to me with all the polarization the division in our country the absence of leadership it started to make sense to me i'm not talking mayor and i respect you know mayor mike duggan and Uh, You know, I would never want to run against my boss. I mean, uh, he's certainly been, uh, we were a great team. Uh, We did great things together. I can talk about so many of that. But that said, seven or eight months ago, I even mentioned to him, he said, hey, you know, maybe you think about running for mayor one day. I said, no, I think governor is the way to go. That was about seven or eight months ago, Paul.
3: So what does Mayor Mike Duggan have to say about Chief James Craig running for governor? Not much, but Mitch Album did ask. The former uh, police chief, uh, James Craig, is now
4: a candidate for governor uh, since the last time we spoke. We kind of all saw that coming. Uh, do you call him, uh, congratulate him on that? Is he calling you for support? Is he, you know, are you guys basically not going to talk between now and the election? What what What's the relationship I like? If, I, if,
0: if we see each other, we'll ask about each other's family, but no, we will not discuss that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Politics were on the opposite side of that, and both of us understand that.
3: Okay. White boy Rick Wershey spent over 30 years in jail on cocaine and racketeering charges after acting as an informant for the FBI and police starting at the age of 14 back in the 80s. Wershey filed a federal lawsuit against the FBI and Detroit Police Department on the one-year anniversary of his release from prison alleging child abuse and that the law enforcement agencies were responsible for a failed assassination attempt against him. Kevin Dietz and Scott Bernstein, reporter of the Gangster Report, have both reported extensively on this story over the years. Scott joined Kevin on WJR Late Mornings, and he agrees with she's assertion.
1: That that's my that was my reporting, and I'll stand by that. Uh, word had leaked out to some of the uh, criminal element that, that he was
3: hanging around
1: in the early um, stages of, of this operation, um, about three or four months into it, and they tried to kill him. And luckily, he survived it. And at that point, you would think that the whole, uh, you know, the whole operation, the pe- the adults that were in charge of this operation, which was obviously uh, very dangerous and, and ethically and morally, uh, you know, a lot of shortcomings in that regard, you think that that, that that would lead them to pump the brakes. Like, we almost got this 15-year-old kid killed, but instead, um, they went into high gear with the with the undercover operation, seeing that, you know, or viewing that him getting shot and then returning into the fold with the Curry brothers would actually give him more credibility. The, the the theory being that if the Curry boys thought he was an informant before and they tried to kill him, you know, that, you know, he would go into some type of witness protection uh, unit or, or, you know, be, be, you know, picked, you know, plucked out of Detroit and put in a, Another state or something, but instead he went back and started working for them again, which I think in the minds of both the Currys and the, the government, you know, just upped the ante on the credibility factor with them.
4: Yeah, and there is no doubt that uh, he did become a drug dealer and he did get caught and he uh, was sentenced uh, for uh, selling drugs and then committed a crime in prison uh, for involvement with a car theft ring that led to his 32 years of imprisonment. The question is, uh, was child abuse by the FBI and the Detroit police of using him as a kid responsible for him being shot and becoming a drug dealer and doing all that time? Scott, we're up against the clock, but... Go ahead, real quick. Can I
1: just point out one thing, real quick, that Rick went down on a arrest from a rolling a stop sign. It was a routine traffic stop when he was 17. He was not brought down on a Kingpin statute or a CCE or uh, any type of racketeering case. This was a 17 year old that rolled a stop sign. They found cocaine, and, and basically they wanted to put him in jail for the rest of his life. So it just showed you how crazy this.
3: Richard Trask, lead FBI investigator in the foiled plot to kidnap Governor Whitmer, was arrested on charges of assault against his wife stemming from an argument after the couple attended a swingers party. On top of that, there are concerns that the FBI's case against the attempted kidnappers could be falling apart due to improper investigation methods committed by the Bureau's 12 undercover informants. Mike Bullotta, former federal U.S. prosecutor, now in private practice, appeared on both WJR Late Mornings and The Guy Gordon Show.
5: Well, the, the big defense that's, that's starting to emerge here is that of entrapment. So if, if the government makes a defendant do something that he normally wouldn't have done, that, that can cross the line into entrapment, which means the defendant is not guilty of the crime. So what I'm seeing in this latest report is are allegations that the informants and it looks like there were 12 of them at least were um, kind of egging on these other uh, alleged co-conspirators in the plot to kidnap governor whitmer and to the extent that that they're they're they've been contacted once they're contacted by the government by the way they become like government agents and so to have entrapment you have to have government action so, so a private citizen not acting with the FBI can't entrap anybody, but once they're, once they're quote-unquote informants and working with the FBI, then the FBI has to be very careful that they don't go too far in persuading others to commit a crime, and that's what I see emerging here
4: yeah, when this story first broke, there was this uh, terrifying plot to kidnap the the governor, and it is terrifying uh, But as it, we start to dig into this more and more, there's, there's allegations that maybe the people who were charged were not the the leaders pushing this or the ones pushing this uh, so aggressively that uh, maybe it was these confidential informants that were really the ones who, who said "Come on, let's let's do this and, and that, that changes the the story quite a bit.
5: Absolutely. Ideally, what you want with the government informant is you want them to be passive. You want them to be listening and reporting what they hear. You don't want them to be driving the bus. If they're driving the bus, then you know, then it cross, can cross the line into entrapment. So I think that, that could be a big problem here. I don't know the extent of you know, the, the government action here and how far they went.
4: Well, tell us how you become a government informant. Uh, Typically, I would think it's because you committed a crime and you want a break.
5: Uh, That's possible. There's also people who become aware of uh, of crimes and just report them as as citizens. That happens, too. Um, And I don't know how these particular informants became informants. Um, they They could have been approached by the FBI oftentimes, um, the FBI will learn of a plot like this and then go approach somebody, and th- they would be cooperating so that they themselves can get a break when they're eventually charged with the crime. So th- that could have been what happened here. I just don't know how they got their informants uh, signed up. But when- once you become a government informant legally, as-, as soon as you're contacted by the FBI or you contact them and they say they ask you to do something, it doesn't have to be in writing. It doesn't have to be formal. It's just – you're a government actor from that point on.
4: And you have to act appropriately or properly.
5: That's right. You have to. Let's uh, talk. You should not. You should not um, push the crime in any way. We
2: now have a situation where one of the FBI agents involved has been charged with an assault of crime, apparently taking place after a swingers event over on the west side of the state. Um, what, does, that. Uh, what does that do to him as a witness?
5: Well, I look at it from the standpoint of the prosecutor. If I were the, the Assistant U.S. Attorney on that case and my case agent, it sounds like it, they called him the lead agent, so we, we call that case agent. So if it's the main agent or the case agent, and he's facing criminal prosecution, it may be there may be a decision to not call that person as a witness at the trial, which means that everything that he could testify about you lose. But in most cases, especially big, big sort of high-profile cases like this one. There are certainly other case agents and probably a co-case agent that that could sub for the the case agent in this case. So I would not be surprised at all if if we don't see Agent Trask um, in the trial based on all his legal problems right now.
2: Well, and it will also be interesting to see what kind of credibility the jury gives to these 12 confidential informants who were acting in their own self-interest and also acting as government agents. And uh, we'll see whether they think that they uh, crossed the line.
3: No matter what way you slice the numbers, vaccination rates against COVID-19 have fallen woefully short of goals set by both the United States and Michigan. One common reason the unvaccinated give for not wanting to get the shot is the fact that it has not gained full FDA approval. University of Michigan epidemiologist Dr. Arnold Monto was on the Guy Gordon show. Guy asked the doctor if there's a higher bar for FDA approval than emergency approval.
6: Actually, it doesn't because FDA made... The decision to go with the same standard for efficacy that they would for full uh, full uh, approval uh, a BLA or, uh, a biologics license application. So in fact, this vaccine not only has been approved, but it's been used in so many people and with such careful follow-up, we can. We know we've found some side effects very infrequent, but we've been able to find them. So I would have no hesitancy about getting this vaccine. And me, uh, uh, we've been vaccinated, all my family has been vaccinated of the appropriate age.
2: And yet the lack of that official full approval is feeding skepticism and uncertainty among some Americans who haven't gotten the shot yet. So what's holding up the FDA? How much more data? We've had, what, over 160 million shots in arms. How much more data do they need before taking the final step in this process?
6: Well, part of the problem is that this is driven by the companies. The companies have to apply, and they have to be able to present the data in the form that is appropriate for the FDA. There's a lot of, I hate to use the word, bureaucracy involved here. But the essentials are there. The vaccine has received full approval in a number of other countries, and it is going to be coming. I had hoped we would be there by now because the only thing that was different between the uh, emergency authorization and full licensure, was six months of follow-up instead of two months of follow-up. We're well beyond six months of follow-up.
2: Interesting. And if it was not in the middle of a pandemic, not in a health emergency, what normally is the span between emergency use authorization and full approval?
3: Or there is is, is no the norm
2: not a not a uh, good barometer in this case? Because
3: we've,
6: we've never given emergency use authorization before. <laughs> Okay. This is a novel thing because it was in the face of a pandemic, and the vaccines were of remarkable uh, efficacy. It is very rare that we're up to ninety-five percent and nearly hundred percent prevention
0: of deaths.
2: So, I guess you know the perception that the FDA hasn't given it full approval. Um, It's being processed a number of ways. People think that the FDA is hesitant, cautious, maybe knows something that they are not sharing. Within the FDA, when you talk to colleagues that are within the agency, are they in any way hesitant? Do they know of something that they have to be worried about? Are they being cautious for a reason?
6: No, they, they view this as standard procedure, waiting to get all of their ducks in a row, because they have to have a certain number of lots that have, are absolutely consistent. They have to be able to visit the sites where the vaccine is being manufactured and having, and, and check a lot of boxes. And it's really checking boxes that are going on now. And uh, uh, I, 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 I just worry that people who are using this as a reason not to get vaccinated are really hesitant. For other reasons and i wish they'd come out and ask these questions because there are answers
3: that'll do it for pod Sui this week for full interviews or anything you might have missed go to the greatvoice.com see you next time